Hi and welcome to another episode of Nothing to Hide. My name is Kevin. And on today's episode, we're going to tackle the topic of masks, as well as the emerging species known as the Karens. So let's jump right in. I think that the the controversy itself, it really shouldn't be a controversy of wearing masks, is absolutely narcissistic, egotistical, and just downright selfish. I think whether you take into consideration the pandemic, the the virus of COVID-19 or not, the fact that there is this thing called the flu, the seasonal flu, is just more reason why we should consider wearing masks. Um, Just to update some information uh, put out by uh, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, this was updated on July 16th, CDC recommends that people wear cloth face coverings in public settings and when around people who don't live in your household, especially when other social distancing measures are difficult to maintain. Cloth face coverings may help prevent people who have COVID-19 from spreading the virus to others. Cloth face coverings are most likely to reduce the spread of COVID-19 when they are widely used by people in public settings. Cloth face coverings should not be worn by children under the age of 2 or anyone who has trouble breathing, is unconscious, incapacitated, or otherwise unable to remove the mask without assistance. Cloth face coverings are recommended as a simple barrier to help prevent respiratory droplets from traveling into the air and onto other people when the person wearing the cloth face covering coughs, sneezes, talks, or raises their voice. This is called source control. This recommendation is based on what we know about the role respiratory droplets play in the spread of the virus that causes COVID-19, paired with emerging evidence from clinical and laboratory studies that shows cloth face coverings reduce the spray of droplets when worn over the nose and mouth. COVID-19 spreads mainly among people who are in close contact with one another within about six feet. So the use of cloth face coverings is particularly important in settings where people are close to each other or where social distancing is difficult to maintain. Essentially, if you think you're sick, whether you're confirmed with COVID-19 or not, you should really consider wearing a face mask, whether it's a cloth face covering or an N95 respirator mask, because the, the sheer fact that you could potentially get someone you love and care about sick. Is, isn't that more reason to wear a mask? People who know or think they might have COVID-19, if you are sick with COVID-19, or think you might have COVID-19, you do not visit public areas. Stay home except to get medical care. As much as possible, stay in a specific room and away from other people and pets in your home. If you need to be around other people or animals, wear a cloth face covering or a mask. The cloth face covering helps prevent a person who is sick from spreading the virus to others. It helps keep respiratory droplets contained and from reaching other people. Um, This from sciencemag.org. It's a viewpoint by Kimberly... Kimberly A. Prather and Chia C. Wang and Robert T. Schooley um, called Reducing Transmission of SARS-CoV-2. 
From epidemiological data, places that have been most effective in reducing the spread of COVID-19 have implemented universal masking, including Taiwan, Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, and South Korea. In the battle against COVID-19, Taiwan, population 24 million, with the first COVID-19 case of January 21st, this year, 2020, did not implement the lockdown during the pandemic, yet maintained a low incidence of 441 cases and seven deaths as of May 21st, 2020. By contrast, the state of New York, population of 20 million, first COVID case March 1st, 2020, had a higher number of cases, 353,000, and deaths, 24,000, by quickly activating by quickly activating its epidemic response plan that was established after the SARS outbreak, the Taiwanese government enacted a set of proactive measures that successfully prevented the spread of SARS-CoV-2, including setting up a central epidemic command center in January, using technologies to detect and track infected patients and their close contacts, and perhaps most importantly, requesting people to wear masks in public places. The government also ensured the availability of medical masks by banning mask manufacturers from exporting them, implementing a system to ensure that every citizen could acquire masks at reasonable prices and increasing the production of masks in other countries. There have been widespread shortages of masks, resulting in most residents not having access to any form of medical mask. This striking difference in the availability and widespread adoption of wearing masks likely influenced the low number of COVID-19 cases. This from the New England Journal of Medicine. A growing body of research shows that the risk of SARS-CoV-2 transmission is strongly correlated with the duration and intensity of contact. The risk of transmission among household members can be as high as 40%, whereas the risk of transmission from less intense and less sustained encounters is below 5%. This finding is also borne out by recent research associating mask wearing with less transmission of SARS-CoV-2, particularly in closed settings. We therefore strongly support the calls of public health agencies for all people to wear masks when circumstances compel them to be within six feet of others for sustained periods. This from various doctors, um, from Michael Klompas, MD, MPH, Harvard Medical School, Charles A. Morris, MD, MPH, Brigham and Women's Hospital, Boston, Massachusetts, Erica S. Shinoy, MD, PhD, Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston. So the argument that masks do the opposite as far as increasing the transmission um, is absolutely debunked. The mere fact that if you believe in the flu, whether it be the seasonal flu, H1N1, SARS, COVID-19, and you understand the science behind how that flu spreads, you would then understand the relevance and the security a mask provides, whether it be an N95 respirator mask, or whether it be a cloth face covering. Because having that barrier will reduce the possibility 
of inhaling possible droplets produced by someone that is sick. Even those that are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic are known to be highly contagious. These individuals that may not offer any symptoms are still highly contagious and likely spreading the virus. So the individuals that are anti-mask protesters absolutely boggle my mind. A part of me wishes that these individuals will not receive any medical attention should they should they get coronavirus and are 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 violently sick it makes no sense now the reality is they're going to get themselves checked into a hospital uh, as soon as they find it difficult to breathe and are going to welcome any assistance so that kind of leads me to my next point of the emergence, or I guess the more uh, publicly displays of Karens. This is an opinion piece from NPR um, by an author whose name is Karen Grigsby Bates. Uh, I found it very eye-opening because I myself had an understanding of what a Karen was, but didn't quite know how to describe one um, accurately. So the opinion piece goes, when I was growing up in the 1950s and 60s, Karen was a name that was everywhere, but in a different way than it is now. Thanks to the baby boom, it felt as if every fifth person was named Karen. I knew a whole bunch of them. Karen Trader, Karen Huff, Karen Ramos, Karen Davis, Karen Peterson, Karen Johnson, Karen Robinson. Back then, you could yell Karen on the schoolyard playground and watch the heads pop up. The Karens I knew were dependable. We collected the class milk money in elementary school, Google it, youngins, and took teacher's notes to the principal's office. Later, we were the babysitters who showed up on time, no prompting needed. We were class officers and community volunteers. We were not the ones in risque prom dresses. No one was ashamed to be a Karen. Karens, for the most part, behaved. And although the name is Nordic, descended, there were plenty of black Karens in my New England hometown. Well, as the 60s folk song says, times, they are a-changing. You can't log on to your computer or glance at your phone without an example of some Karen somewhere behaving badly, in the park, at the big box store, calling police on little children on the sidewalk, harassing her neighbors on their own property. For these women, Karen is not the name on their birth certificates, but what they have become. They are women, almost always white, who are entitled, often racist, and determined to get what they want. And what they want, to a frequent degree, is the ability to determine where black and brown bodies may or may not be present. Karens throughout history. 
While we don't have anything on record that predates the antebellum period, it would not be illogical to assume that Miss Anne's existed in, say, colonial times. But most see her as a meme that evolved at the height of slaveholding time and continued well after. Originated in the antebellum era, 1815 to 1861, Miss Anne. Miss Anne is slang for a white woman who is aware of her whiteness and the status it conveys and is complicit with a system that preserves that status. She may or may not own enslaved people, but she definitely knows what the hierarchy is and usually does not challenge it. Gone with the Wind, 1939. Scarlett O'Hara is often referenced in tandem with Miss Anne, since she, too, belongs to a slaveholding family and upholds the system, all white blissfully playing the role of a southern belle. Originated circa 1990s. Becky. Becky is slang for a white woman who is happily ignorant and unaware of her whiteness, but is complicit with the system that upholds her status. She is often overly dramatic when confronted about her whiteness. She may or may not be a valley girl. Originated circa 2010s. Karen. Karen is shorthand for a woman who, again, is usually white. She's convinced her way is the right way, whether it's about charcoal grilling in the park, policing non-white people's behavior, or demanding to speak to a manager or higher authority who can get her what she wants. She's the kind of person who posts on next door about a suspicious looking person walking around her neighborhood or demands to be led into a grocery store without wearing a mask. These Karens do not spring full-grown from the ether. Instead, they are the latest link in an evolutionary chain of white women that goes back at least a couple of centuries. In the recent past, before Karen, there was Becky, immortalized by Sir Mix-a-Lot in the 90s. You know these Beckys, young white women who are as entitled as Karen, but significantly more cheerful. Becky wants the black girls in homecoming court to straighten their hair for the official photos so it will all look nice. She also wants to know how you got your natural hair to behave that way in the first place, or touches it with or without asking. She might know a couple of black folks and makes assumptions about the entire culture based on her narrow experience. She can't be racist because she's gone out with a couple of black guys. Karen, on the other hand, can't be racist because she has a black work friend or neighbor. Becky is the sorority sister who will sing along to Beyonce at the top of her voice, but unless the actual Beyonce shows up to join her sorority, as if, Becky won't vote to admit any black pledge candidates. Not because they're black, of course. Becky doesn't see color. No, Becky won't be voting for black candidates because they're not the right kind of black. You know, the kind that fits in. And way before there was Becky, there was her predecessor, Miss Anne. If that sounds kind of antebellum, that's because it is. Miss Anne goes back to the land of cotton, to Dixie before the War of Northern Aggression. She may have been the mistress of a sprawling plantation or the inhabitant of a much more humble home. But whether she owned actual black bodies or hold her own land, Miss Anne was always going to consider herself better than the, the best black person anywhere near her, because she was white. And white womanhood, rich or poor, was firmly placed on a pedestal, the living icon of white supremacy, because it was so verboten to speak about white women with anything but polite deference. Black folks developed Miss Anne as a signifying reference. It was a moniker that allowed us to talk in code if we needed to. You know, Miss Anne has to be right about everything all the time. Karen has inherited Miss Anne's entitlement, 
It has been handed down, like the family silver or an antique wedding veil. She and Becky may not wear Miss Anne's hoop skirts, but they move through the world in the same way, certain of their right to be there. Certain they have more right to be there than you. And it is certainly that so and it's that certainty that's so dangerous. Karen knows she can call on her own community or the state to put black bodies where she wants them. Don't want them in the hotel swimming pool? Call the police. Think they shouldn't be sleeping in the same dorm as you? Call the police. Angry that a child is selling ice water on a hot day on a public sidewalk near you. Oh, officer friendly. Karen is much more like Miss Anne than Becky in the sense that she's aware that there will be consequences when she summons help and that these consequences will fall most harshly on black people, usually black men. The lynchings of Emmett Till and Claude Neal, for example, occurred because people perceived that white women's virtue needed protecting a century ago. The entire neighborhood of Greenwood in Tulsa, Oklahoma, was burned to the ground and scores of its residents were slaughtered after a white woman claimed assault by a black man in the elevator she operated. Some stories say he tripped and stepped on her foot. There are enough histories of black death falling in the wake of white women's displeasure in this country to make the rise of the Karens a worrisome prospect. Even when Karen is not enacting violence upon black and brown people herself, she knows she can enlist others, especially police, who can do it for her if she wants. Isn't that what the latest Karen, Amy Cooper, did when she called the police to falsely report that a black man in Central Park was threatening her and her dog? It's incidences like these that have inspired a San Francisco supervisor to introduce the Caution Against Racially Exploitative Non-Emergency Act. If passed, the Karen Act would make it illegal to make false reports because of racial animus. Given the current racial tensions in the country, I'm guessing Karen will be around for a while, and it will be more than a minute before we other Karens get our name back. But while we're waiting for that time, I'm thinking about who should be the next link in Miss Anne's evolutionary chain. I'm voting for Madison. So again, that was an opinion piece by uh, NPR from Karen Grigsby Bates. The interesting phenomenon about the emergence, or rather the public audacity that these Karens have is the sheer ignorance that they won't be um, subjected to any consequences. And I'm happy to see, uh, although not enough cases, of these strong consequences being put onto these Karens. To couple the Karens with the anti-maskers, it almost seems like there's uh, a group that should be put in to the same bucket of these anti-mask uh, protesters because they share the same um, indignant um, anger towards uh their fellow man, women, or child. There's that, that selfishness that is so abhorrent that 
is very similar to Karen's in that they have a sense of entitlement. Now, oftentimes, this entitlement can be compared to the strong independence and liberty that is upheld and found in the United States. But even being a resident in Canada, I'm seeing large groups of people that are uh, anti-mask, anti-vaccinations, anti-black um, anti people. It's just, it's, it's so mind-boggling. And if you listen to my bonus episode of um, my my thoughts on the new TV series Brave New World, based on uh, the fiction novel by Aldous Huxley, the I'm reminded of the comparison of the genetically cloned people that reside in New London and how they're compared to the old world, I guess you could say, and what they call savages, which is essentially what we are. And I think to myself how the larger theme is how we need to come together. There's this common commonality I'm seeing in commercials and uh, news outlets and um, fundraisers of we're all in this together. But yet you have this isolated group that refuse to wear masks, that preach not to wear masks. You have these entitled group of people known as the Karens who are unashamed to spew their toxic message so brazenly in public to think they will have no consequence. And uh, we're seeing uh, charges being laid to these individuals. So 2020 is definitely a year of some very unworldly, tragic, and devastating times. But the icing on the cake is the Karens that are being exposed, the individuals that are so bravely and openly sharing their negative messages that do not help the world and uh, creating disputes and these altercations on social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter. But we know now that wearing a mask 
or a cloth face covering will reduce the possibility of you getting sick, whether it be from the flu or COVID-19 or whatever, and potentially saving those you care about and love from potentially getting it as well. And for the Karens out there, I don't know if you're just going to have to hide and be more discreet or start taking acting lessons because as soon as that red light or rather the camera is on, you're going to be exposed. And we've seen companies take action. We've seen uh, charges being laid. So it's perhaps time to start re-educating yourself and learning that this world wasn't made just for you. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me at nthpod at gmail.com. That's nthpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you next week.